you are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, August the 5th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're going to be taking a look at one of the lessons for this coming Sunday. And it's going to be an interesting look because a lot of people, if I ask them this question, what is the difference between the God of the Old Testament and the presentation of God in the New Testament? And I'm talking about the different books, Genesis to Malachi and Matthew through Revelation. I dare say many people will give an answer that there is a difference. But the point I'm going to be making today is there is no difference at all between God as represented in the Old Testament books and God represented in the New Testament books. We've already talked about how Jesus, though he did not become incarnate until conceived in the Virgin Mary, he definitely is found everywhere in the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus himself is. Uh, a lot of times it's expressed with the phrase, the angel of the Lord, like in Exodus, where at the burning bush, it's Jesus who is talking to Moses. And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But more importantly than the description of how God thinks, which I don't think there's any difference between the Old and the New Testament, more importantly is the teaching of how one is saved. I would dare say that if I just ask the question, how does the Old Testament God save people in contrast to the New Testament God, a lot of people will say, well, in the Old Testament, you really had to obey the commandments. And that's why God gave them for you not only to obey, but that he would become pleased with you and make a decision to save you. This cannot be further from the truth. And that's why the lesson that has been chosen for the Old Testament is one we want to look at in great detail. It's Genesis chapter 15. That's right, the first book of the Bible we're going to be taking a look at, chapter 15. And we're going to see what is the means of salvation that's found here. And you will come to understand there's no distinction between the means of salvation as found in the New Testament books. At any rate, Abraham has just been blessed by Melchizedek. And that was a priest from God who said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now we begin with verse 1 of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Now, every time we talk about the word of the Lord, 
it kind of reminds us of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh. And we know this is the Word from God because when it says the Word of the Lord, the word Lord in the English, each letter is capitalized. And that refers to the name of God, namely Yahweh. So this is definitely God, as he calls himself later on to Moses at Mount Sinai. And he comes to Abraham in a vision. Now, it's not really that different where God comes in a vision. We have the whole book of Revelation that appears that John wrote from a vision. And there's other number of places in the Bible where people come to knowledge about God through a vision that God brings to them. The first words, fear not Abram. Now, that's interesting. Martin Luther in his commandments often start off, we should fear love and trust in God above all things. But what do we mean by fear? Not long ago, I had, it was in a Bible class, how can God love us and yet we still fear him? That doesn't seem to make any sense. If we know he loves us, why do we fear him? And I said, did you have parents? Oh, oh yes. Did you love them? Uh, yes, I did. Did you at times fear them? And the person thought a moment, and it became clear to him what I was getting at. Yes, when, when I was growing up, I'd fear my parents when I did something wrong. I, I remember one time I had thrown a snowball and hit a girl in the head, and I was punished at school, and then they phoned my parents. Well, I was not looking forward to coming home. And in that sense... It's the same because we know parents have the authority and the ability to punish us. Maybe we're not allowed to watch television that night or whatever they decide. That's why we fear parents at the same time that we love them. Similarly with God, we fear him because he has the right to send us to eternal damnation because of our sin. In this case, God says to Abram, Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Well, Abraham doesn't understand what God is saying here. Because he says, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. In other words, what he's talking about, this is a servant who was born and raised in Abram's household. And despite his qualifications as someone that Abram could adopt as heir, Eleazar is by no means preferable to the natural-born son God 
promised. So Abraham's confused. You, you tell me, Lord, that my reward shall be very great, but the only child that is affiliated with my household is somebody I could adopt, but not of my flesh. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So he's kind of disappointed, Abram is. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And here's what God says this time. Verse 4, Genesis 15. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Wow. Now, at that time, Sarah was past childbearing age. Abraham was old. And he had no idea that it would take 25 years for Abraham to give birth to Isaac when he was 100 years old, namely Abraham. That just wasn't heard of in those days. It, it kind of reminds us of Zacharias and Elizabeth in the New Testament where she also was past childbearing age, and yet the angel came to Zacharias and said, Zacharias, Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call his name John. Well, that was John the baptizer. And guess what? Zacharias didn't believe it. And so he became mute, was unable to speak until John was born. Well, is this going to be the obvious and natural response on the part of Abraham when he hears this? But before we hear what Abraham has to say, God says, your very own son shall be your heir. And God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, I don't know about you, but that goes against all contrary sense that you're going to have a birth here of a son as old as Abraham was, etc. How is this going to be? It just doesn't seem that that's going to be possible. So you would think that Abraham would have the same kind of response that Zacharias had. How is this going to be? I don't understand. I mean, Sarah's way past childbearing age, etc. So how does this come about? Well, the... The, the promise is made by God. Now, we need to understand what faith is. Faith is belief not in God or even in Jesus Christ or the historical events that occurred. Because many of the unbelieving Pharisees believe the historical events surrounding Jesus Christ, that he died, 
that he rose, that he did miracles, that he even raised Lazarus from the dead. They did not doubt these things. They, they believed them to be of the power of Beelzebub. So they had no faith in the promises of God. Now, listen to what Abraham says or responds when the Lord tells him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, you really ought to underline this in your Bible. And he believed the Lord. But it doesn't end there. And God counted it to him as righteousness. What? This is found in no other religion in the world. Where simply by believing what God says, you're declared as righteous in his sight. You may believe what God says, like you have to turn to Mecca five times a, a day and pray and such, but it is in your doing of his commands where you are saved. This is precisely the teaching of the New Testament, that a person is not saved by their works. They are saved through faith. The word believe, the word faith, and the word trust all are translations of the same Hebrew and Greek word. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him as righteousness. For example, this was so important to the early Christians that the Apostle Paul in Romans, beginning with verse 21, which was a key verse for Martin Luther to understand salvation, as taught in the entire Bible. Here's what 21 says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, the righteousness of God means that righteousness which he has that he will give to you. It's been revealed apart from the law. Now, there the word law really refers to the understanding of through your obedience to the law. Because the very next phrase, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, there the word law is referring to the first five books of the Old Testament and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament. Just like we say the gospel and the epistles, they would say the law and the prophets. So what is this new righteousness in contrast to every other religion in the world. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Wow. Going on, 27 says, what becomes of our boasting? Of our boasting in the sense that Boy, this is how we are saved, by our obedience. It is excluded. By what kind of law or principle? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. 
That's verse 27. Your boasting is excluded because you're not saved by your works. You're saved through faith, which is a gift from God. Paul makes it even more clear. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Wow, that is really important. It is not through our obedience to the law that God declares us to be justified, but through faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 is really good. I'm looking at Romans. It's entitled, Abraham Justified by Faith. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, which means according to his own works? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, God doesn't take your boasting about your works, saying, look at I'm doing this, I attend church, I give offerings, I'm an officer, I teach Sunday school, I raise my children up. Aren't I worthy to go to heaven? No, God isn't happy with that. Why? Because you're removing Jesus Christ out of your salvation. When you boast about your works as the means by which you get to heaven, you're ignoring what Jesus Christ has done. And in order to prove that, Paul goes on in verse 3 of Romans 4, what does the scripture say? That's referring to the Old Testament books. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Uh, for example, when I was younger, I'd be working in the fields picking tomatoes or on a farm picking peaches. And after the day was over, I, I went to the owner to get paid. And I did not say to him, thank you for this gift you are giving me. No, I had done work. The wages are what are due to me. And that's what he means, that wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts the righteousness apart from works. And therefore he quotes David from Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they tried to put on some leaves that didn't last very long to hide their nakedness, so God covered them with the skin of an animal. Going on, verse 8, still quoting from David. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
I've said this a number of times, and I get this idea from verses like this. What does it mean to be forgiven? It means that God no longer holds you accountable for your sin. He doesn't count against you your sin. So then, how are we saved? He takes your sins and puts them on the shoulders of Jesus, who pays the price on the cross. Paul isn't finished talking about Abraham. Verse 13, Romans 4. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherence of the law, namely those people who think they're obeying the law perfectly, like a lot of those scribes and Pharisees, if those are the ones who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Because the law brings wrath. Now this is really important to understand. We're under the curse of the law. In the day that you sin, you shall surely die. And we die in Christ. That's why baptism is as though you're hanging on the cross and buried in the tomb with Jesus Christ. When we talk about salvation from a Christian point of view, not works and obedience but faith in promises is what saves. That goes on with Romans 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. What's grace? Grace is God's gift to you you do not deserve. God is merciful in not giving you what you deserve. He's gracious in giving you what you do not deserve because you are ungodly. When Jesus died, the sins of the ungodly were forgiven. So therefore, when we're talking to people about salvation, their sins have been forgiven. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through that faith that they receive the gift that God has available for them. That's why it depends on faith, according to verse 16, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the ones who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So, the next time somebody is saying to you, well, the God of the Old Testament, he's really more a God of wrath and the way you make him please, you obey his law. Tell him, no. There's no difference between the God of the Old Testament, the Holy Trinity, and the God of the New Testament, the Holy Trinity. Uh, the only difference is in the New Testament books, it is revealed 
how the second person of the Trinity became a human being for the purpose of taking upon himself, you, the ungodly, your sins, so that the words from the cross came true. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, what's one of the results of believing God? Chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What were the first words Jesus said to the disciples on the night of the resurrection? Not, thanks a lot, guys, for leaving me when I was in trouble. No, the first words, peace be unto you. And there was great joy on the part of the apostles. That joy can be on the part of every person in the world as we Christians take the time to explain to them that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament They're the same. And they have provided a means of salvation apart from our obedience, but instead on the part of Christ's obedience. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to be taking a look at a hymn that discusses this also and also brings in the devil. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.